Time now for Connecting the Diocese. Connecting the Diocese is a production of the Diocese of La Crosse. Here's host Jack Silsha. Thanks so much for tuning in to Connecting the Diocese on this Time Change weekend show we've done with Falling Back. Now we're springing forward. So far, I've only sprung into a snowbank. Yes, this weather is getting a little bit, well, it's making us owly. Even the owls at the International Owl Center in Houston, Minnesota, across the river from La Crosse, are getting, well, owly as well. But they're inside, so they don't give a hoot. On a much more serious note, last week we talked about the sacrament of marriage. We do a lot of those kind of things during this Lenten period. It's an appropriate thing to do on the show this time of year. And this time we're going to be talking about the Eucharistic revival, what that's all about, and a little bit about uh, Eucharistic miracles as well. Anne Langford, the Director of Catechesis and Evangelization for the Diocese of La Crosse, will be our guest. We'll be joining that conversation right after this. Well, despite the fact that we have a layer of snow covering much of the listening area, I want to get you thinking about summer. I want to get you thinking about June, thinking about having a cold beverage. That was actually LaCroix water, by the way. Despite rumors to the contrary, I do not drink beer while I'm doing this show. There are people out on the courts playing tennis. We don't have a great huge special effects library, folks but also no special effects for talking about golf. Golf, which, of course, some detractors refer to as being a good walk spoiled, is really a lot more than that. Even if you're not good at it, it can be a lot of fun. It's exercise, it's fresh air, sunshine, good conversation, good camaraderie, and all those things as you chase a little white ball around the course. But it can be a lot more than that, especially on June 5th the third annual diocesan golf outing and dinner at the Fox Hollow Golf Course in La Crosse. Having been to a couple of these, even though I do not personally play golf, I can tell you, though, it is a lot more than just a fundraiser. First, it is a chance to play golf, even if you are not a professional. You haven't got to worry about that. There's plenty of people out there who will be no better than you are. But also, it's a chance to hang out with some of the seminarians, get to meet them on a one-to-one basis as well as some of the staff and other folks involved in the Diocese of La Crosse. And again, the proceeds do go towards the upkeep and the maintenance of the whole seminarian program. So you're doing a whole bunch of good while having a whole bunch of fun. So mark the date on your calendar now, June 5th, so you don't forget about it. And you can go to the Diocese of La Crosse website for more information. Go to diolc.org slash golf. D-I-O-L-C dot org slash golf. And I promise you, a good time will be had by all. Again, Ann Langford is the Director of Catechesis and Evangelization for the Diocese of La Crosse. So far, Ann, we've talked a little bit in the past about the three-year program that the U.S. bishops have requested be implemented in the Diocese of La Crosse and other dioceses as well. How is that working out locally? A lot of parish, those that direct the faith formation programs, we're doing some online groups, you know, because people live so far away. And those are having an amazing effect on me included. I facilitate a couple of them, and it's just the, the format is excellent. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? We've gone from seeing you in the hallways 
uh, wandering around with, uh, you know, these big three-ring binders as you were compiling stuff for RCIA and all these things. And now we're, we're doing all this stuff online. It, it is really quite amazing. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is a little bit different because, well, maybe you can explain it. The, our, the, the, the Bishop's Council, and this is not a diocesan initiative, this is nationwide from all of our bishops, have wanted uh, you especially and, and all the other uh, dioceses to, to stress something really important to them, which they say seems to be slipping and kind of fading away in people's headspace. Can you tell us what that was all about? Yes. Well, the U.S. bishops have initiated a, a three-year national Eucharistic revival, and it's really about inspiring and preparing the people of God to be formed and healed, converted, united, and really sent out to a hurting and hungry world. And at the heart of it is a renewed encounter with Jesus and the Eucharist. And what sparked this revival was there was a Pew study, and they found that about two-thirds of all Catholics don't even know or don't believe in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. So in other words, at Mass, when an ordained priest prays the words of Jesus— through the, whole, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that bread and wine are no longer bread and wine, but the body and blood of Christ. And so people through poor formation, just lack of understanding, whatever, it's, it's kind of melting away that people truly know and believe that that is truly Jesus. Well, again, we talked with uh, Monsignor Hunt last week uh, from the marriage tribunal about the concept of the... Um, a holy marriage, a, a, a sacrament, and the idea that there are perhaps a generation of people coming along who don't really understand what that even means to them. And so they have these crazy weddings now with you know <laughs> with laser lights and glitter and everything you can think of, but missing this sacred component of, of what it really is all about. And it's kind of the same thing. It, it's hard to believe that when my wife and I went through RCIA, which has got to be 20 years ago, at the time when we did have three ring binders, <laughs> courtesy of all of your hard work. Uh, but uh, there are people back then who were like maybe two years old, okay? Well, now these people are maybe 19, maybe they're 20 years old or a little older. And unless their parents instructed them, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come out of the ether. You know, it's just, they, go, they don't know. It's as simple right. as that. They do not know. And this is one reason why we encourage people who are interested in becoming Catholic to go through the RCIA process. It's just This one is just ending up getting ready boy, for the, the big stuff. Maybe we can take a little detour on that. Can you explain what RCIA is since you are so involved in all that? Well, it's the right of Christian initiation of adults. And it's to prepare people over an extended period, trying to get away from the nine-month process just to extend it a little longer but it's a it's a it's a process of coming closer to Christ learning the teachings of the church and entering into a, you know a catholic parish into the life of the parish into the life of the church and and really living as a faithful disciple and that process brings people into the church to receive the sacraments on the easter vigil so just in a nutshell, that, that hopefully that captured it. And as I've said before, the, it's an extraordinary amount of work on, on behalf of the parish, 
uh, the folks in, in, on the staff, you uh, preparing all this material to have it cohesive and universal so that no matter which parish you go to, you're not going to get a slightly different version of it kind of thing. The church wants people to know what the church is all about. And so it isn't like, just because all are welcome, which they are, it doesn't mean that, come on down, <laughs> you know, uh, you're a Catholic, uh, that you should really understand what you're getting involved in, what you're dealing with, what the beliefs are. And uh, it is rather a fantastic ex experience. And right about now, the people who have been going through this for quite some time, they're getting ready for pretty soon. It's getting there closer and closer to the Easter vigil. And I can remember the excitement of it. Uh, it, it was just wonderful. And then afterwards, it doesn't stop because, for one thing, a whole bunch of people from the various volunteer organizations come in to explain to you all the opportunities there are to help. And some of these people who, who go through and, and become converts become some extremely active volunteers. Um, some of them end up doing radio shows. <laughs> who who would have thunk this, right? You know, it's hard to believe this would be going on. But anyway, it, it's all a wonderful department that you are are heading, and you you have so many uh, little irons in the fire. Uh, and now the bishops have this project going on. What was the first thing you did when you heard that the bishops wanted this done? What was your what was your reaction? Did you go, oh my gosh, I have to get out more three ring binders to start laying out stuff? Or what what did you all do? Really, I was perf I was affected profoundly that, that that this was happening, just because there's there's so much turmoil in the world and even in the church, and it's like okay, where do you start to kind of help help kind of get all of us, you know, myself included, that. We get more back on the path and headed towards Christ, you know, seeking conversion, seeking a deeper relationship. This was just a profound, obviously, from the Holy Spirit. And so Chris Carsons and Chris Ruff and I started meeting about, you know, where this should go, what we should do. But the first thing through our office is we had a retreat for all of our DREs and CREs, the, the directors and, and uh, coordinators of the programs at the parishes. And we had a large crowd come and, and included their spouses and then catechist also. And it was a beautiful day. It was on the vigil of Corpus Christi. So it was last June. And um, people were really moved by it. We had four talks and anyway, just long story short, it, it was okay. The bishops really have something here. I just move on with that, that it's a three year. And so there's a focus for each year. And it's brilliant that it's three years because, you know, when we hear about a year of this or a year of that, it takes a while to kind of get adjusted, you know, get some resources in process, do some studying of church documents. And, you know, and then six months into it, it's like, okay, six months, eight months, now we're really going and then the year ends. So this is really beautiful that it's three years. So I just want to name what the three years. So June 2022 to 2023 is the, is the year of diocesan revival. And then June 2023 to 24 is the year of parish revival. And then the third year, 2024 to 2025, 
It begins with the National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. They're expecting 80,000 Catholics from all over the country. And that starts a year of missionary sending out that we go out and, and be more free about speaking with friends that maybe are no longer practicing Catholics or maybe our neighbors who, you know, are part of a different community. And, and at the right moment, you know, bringing up the Eucharist and speaking about this incredible gift, the, the most incredible gift our Lord gives us himself in the Eucharist. It is just a profoundly uh, important thing because, as we know, people have been drifting away from all kinds of churches, not just the Catholic Church. They are they are simply distracted by, sh- by sparkly objects. Uh, you know, of all kinds. And and frankly, a lot of the sparkly objects that they're distracted by are meant to be monetized. You know, I mean, there's a, a machine that's going on. And frankly, there's a lot of criticism also about what is happening with social media being a total distraction, total waste of time, hurting people. There's a, a ton of information about uh, young girls who are being just pursued and driven and shamed and all kinds of nonsense. But all of this is a distraction. And in the midst of all this turmoil, we, we still got the church standing there saying, if you'd like some peace, if you'd like some inner quiet, if you would like to be more comfortable with yourself, we have a lot of answers right here. And it all stems back to Jesus, who had all these things to say, that if you just listen to him, they make more sense than most of the blah, 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 blah you'll hear on 10,000 YouTube videos. It's as simple as that. And so it starts with that. And as you say, and, you know, I look around at the world and I've been living, I'm not exactly a hermit, but ever since the pandemic, I have been, you know, spending a lot of time on our three acres with watching the birds. And, you know, there's a lot of quiet and a lot of peace going on. Um, Then I run into cities for some reason, and I read about what's going on in, in places like Minneapolis. And I go, what has happened? What has been put aside, lost, and and most importantly, I think, especially for you and us, has never been discovered in the first place. Right. Uh, Right. I'm beginning to feel like some of these people who are walking around felt like I did the first time I walked into a Catholic church, and I didn't really know how to do anything. I had no idea what any of the symbols meant. I had no idea what the the stuff on the side of the pews was. Oh, we're kneeling now? Okay, I'll kneel now. Okay, we're getting up now? Okay, I'll get up now. And then after our CIA, things begin to fall into place. You begin to understand what saints are all about, what praying for people is all about. And most important, you need to, to learn that there is holiness, divinity, Holy Spirit. And this is what, <laughs> it feels like we're doing like Christianity and Catholicism 101. It's a lot of work. Well, you know, there's some amazing things happening. The Lord is showering his grace upon the world and I see it at at my parish and several other parishes that I frequent just because of the times of daily masses, etc. And I'm hearing it from parishes around the diocese and also from friends out, you know, in other dioceses around the country, that there's this growing number of young people, young married couples, they're forming, they're, they're formed a well uh, they they want to know Jesus better. They want him at the center of their lives and of their families. They're forming their children. They're bringing them to Mass. I mean, I just notice in my parish that in the bulletin, at least every week, and if not every other week, there's there's two or three new families joining. Now, they could be moving in, 
but it just seems like the, the choice of the word revival really fits. And it's the Holy Spirit's behind all this, and he's showering us with grace, so it's, it's kind of interesting that this, this obviously is happening before we even are getting revved up in the Eucharistic revival. But the Holy Spirit has us on track, you know, that it's fitting at the right time. And already what I'm seeing and hearing from around the diocese are parishers are responding. We had a, we call it the Eucharistic Revival Summit. And it was, it was invite only, and that was because of space. We had it here at the diocesan center. Each parish sent two representatives, and most, most parishes were, were represented. And then we also invited the parish catechetical leaders, the directors and coordinators of the parish program, because they're right in the heart of it. We also invited two people from each school, and then... Tom Reichenbacher from the superintendent of schools decided, we just don't want two people. We want all of our teachers and administrators. And so they're having the same event we had for all of the Catholic school teachers and administrators. The first one was just this past Friday. They're doing it in three parts of the diocese. And it was beautiful. And the people responded well. So it's so anyway, back to this event we had in January these representatives from the Knights and from the DCCW and, you know, all the various apostolates from around the diocese were represented. And we, we had time for prayer. We had for time for adoration, which people were really moved. There, you know, there a good, good deal of people had never experienced this time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, which just to, just, you know, to define that, briefly is when the priest consecrated the host at mass, they reserve the, the hosts that are left over in the, the tabernacle. And so Jesus is truly present in our tabernacles. And for adoration, they bring out a larger host and place the host in what we call a monstrance. It looks, most monstrances look almost like a sun with the center cut out where the host is placed. And so we're in the presence of Jesus, you know, outside of mass, and we can be there with him and worship him and rest in his love and find peace there. And so we had some time of adoration. And then I want to jump to one other thing that we, we experienced was the Eucharistic Miracles exhibition. So there's a large exhibition of miracles the first one was in the year 700, the miracle of Lanciano. And all the way up to the last one I've heard about was like 2018. Anywhere there's this young man in Italy, his name's Carlo Acutis, and he's now a blessed. He had this incredible devotion to the Eucharist as a young boy. And, and as he was growing up, never lost that just deep love for the Eucharist, would spend a lot of time in Eucharistic adoration and just was very, very different. I This morning I listened to a short little 30-minute documentary about his life, which is on our Eucharistic Diocesan website. Um, I'll just give that website right now, diolc.org 
slash Eucharist. And it's on the Learn page, and it's a 34-minute documentary about his life. Long story short, he documented, he was very much into social media, and this, this kind of started with him even before the internet and, you know, all this social media. He started, you know, handwriting, documenting all the Eucharistic miracles of the world. And with the access of then internet, when he was, you know, probably in his early teens, he started getting pictures of th things and putting all this together. Well, we had an exhibit at our January gathering. People were just really taken by it. All these different miracles. Yeah, you keyed in on some important points that these people have never experienced these things. Uh, there's so much going on, as we say, to, to distract you. Uh, I, for some reason, I still have a subscription to Wired magazine. It's become more and more irre irrelevant to my life. But when I was a real computer geeky guy, it was cutting edge stuff. But now it's kind of like, you know, okay. And it was a story this this past issue about uh, these people who they're, they're they're basically there is some new clinical drug, not any not an illegal drug, but that they're claiming, you know, somehow does something in your brain. And they're saying everyone who takes this drug sees the same figures. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, <laughs> we have a certain cultural similarity. You know, we all know who Mickey Mouse is. So, you know, but uh, this idea, once again, that somehow you can take a pill that is somehow going to give you a magnificent spiritual experience and bring you closer to God uh, is about 180 degrees off of, of what most of us understand, that basically... No, that that could be a, a false image. It could be a chemically induced image. It could be affecting some neurons somewhere. And I forget what they call these people. They don't call them Argonauts, but they call them something knots. I don't know, not astronauts, but it's something like some strange new... And, and they're, they're all claiming they're trying to figure out a way to keep this chemical experience going longer. And I was sitting there going, yeah, you know, you, you can't sit for 10 minutes during adoration and maybe have a really uplifting uh, thing going on. But you're going to pump some kind of drug intravenously through your veins to keep something strange in your brain going on. This is craziness. And this is such an example of how desperate we are to find some kind of inner peace somewhere and to try to understand who we are. And yet, you go to MASH, you go to RCIA, you go look at the diocesan website. There's stuff laid out there for you to keep you occupied and really thinking for a very, very long time. It's, and, and you, quite frankly, put a lot of it up there. <laughs> I, I, I have to ask you another question. Number one, when did you start doing this? And, and how did you ever think you'd be getting into disseminating all this information through a, a, a whole new method of doing it? I mean, I, uh, what how what were you first got going on this? Did, what were you doing? You mean when I first came to the diocesan? Yeah, or position? just in general. I mean, in your life. I mean, here you are doing this. I mean, here I am doing this. And you know, twenty, thirty years ago, you never would have dreamed we were doing these things. Right. At least I wouldn't be. How did that happen? I mean, how did Eric Archer become a director of communications? You know, I mean, we all have, we all got here for some sure. reason. And I am a huge, huge believer in actions of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Well, I was actually a tennis pro in Milwaukee for uh, 15 years, and I had played college tennis and then became a USPTA pro, uh, teaching pro, and we had, we had a very large program 
and it was a great job, but basically I was ruining my vocal cords because we had eight courts and, you know, to yell to a lot of kids, just <laughs> my little squeaky voice just couldn't handle it. So, um, anyway, I was experiencing conversion uh, when I was working there and just becoming more and more interested in my faith. And in the meantime, I got a different job and I spent a lot of time traveling and so had more time to just be quiet, you know, driving a lot and um, started spending more time in prayer. And then um, I was invited to be a youth minister in back in Missouri. And it was definitely that happened because of God's guidance, because I, I never would have quit this very cushy job with a company car, credit cards, entertaining all the time, you know. <laughs> You wouldn't think you'd give that up, but I just, I had something very, very interesting happen that kind of laid all the parts in place that I should accept this position as a youth minister. And after a year, I knew that I needed to go back to school in order to, to have a position in the church because I wasn't formed that well. When I went through grade school, Catholic school, the it, the, the textbooks were awful, and just my parents thought I was receiving the formation at, at school, and I wasn't. So I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville. Again, uh, you know, was learning how to pray to know God's will and just kind of, you know, waited until I knew what I was really supposed to do because these are big decisions in life. And uh, went there for um, two and a half years, took a semester off to earn some more money to be able to pay off the bills. But a total of, was a total, throughout three years, one semester off. And then I accepted a position in Nebraska as a DRE, directing a large program for two parishes. Learned a lot and would have stayed there a very long time, at least that's what I would have thought made some lifelong friends, one of the best friends of my life, um, actually in the RCIA process. But um, just there was this uh, pull in my heart. I knew the Lord wanted me to, to do something else. And again, by providential circumstances, I heard about this position. Actually, it was handed to me and somebody's, and, and I was, you know, I was, it was suggested that I apply and uh, was in Nebraska at the point at that point. Anyway, uh, came here and uh, ended up taking the position. And it's interesting that all the background that I've, you know, all the prior positions and all the experience have all come into play for this position. But I'm in my 20th year now. And would I have ever dreamed of doing this? Uh, no. But does it fit? Yes, because God has a plan for our lives, and if we follow, it'll bring joy and peace and fulfillment. It's a lot of work, and it's, you know, there's headaches. It's not a bowl of cherries all the time, but it's, it's, it brings great fulfillment to follow the Lord's plan for your life. Joy and peace and fulfillment. You can't ask for more than that, Anne. 
that's really good. And I, you know, we've had conversations with all kinds of people, everything from priests to religious to, to other members of the courier staff to people who are just involved in, in pancake breakfasts, you know, everything. Uh, everybody seems to be happy. They may not be, you know, jumping up and down every day, especially if it's Monday morning and you've got work to do. But uh, everybody seems to be happy. When I was working with the radio network and running a station, we got to meet all the other radio guys at various conferences. And these guys came from all kinds of commercial radio, disc jockeys, you name it, you know, all this stuff, uh, myself included. And we all seemed pleased to be doing something that advances the idea of serving God, the idea of understanding what God wants, and where having a spiritual side to your life is so important, not only to you, but to your whole family, the whole world. Now, having said that, <laughs> we're in Lent. I have been strongly suggesting that people try to take up something. Don't just give up something. You know, Pretty soon you run out of you know how many Hershey bars you can give up. But... Uh, as the bishop has said, you can add something as a as a thing to do for the whole period of Lent, and hopefully it'll, it'll continue. If one was to go to the diocesan website and try to find something to look at for the period of Lent, and probably thereafter, uh, is there anything in particular that you would direct them to? Yes, I would most definitely direct them to go to the Eucharistic Revival webpage. Again, it's D-I-O for diocese, L-C for lacrosse, .org slash Eucharist. And there are four videos there for the Eucharistic Revival. They were recorded by Monsignor Hirsch, Father Justin Kazuski, Monsignor Richard Gillis from the Cathedral, and Father Steve Weller from Assumption Catholic Middle School and High School, and also at a parish, Our Lady Queen of Heaven. Outstanding presentations for just growing in our relationship with Christ, most especially in the Eucharist. And Lent is a beautiful time to be drawn to Eucharistic adoration. Obviously, continuing to go to Mass but in spending quiet time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, whether you have adoration at your parish or not, you can, you can also just go into the church where our Lord is in the tabernacle and spend quiet time. And what does that do? It helps us to calm down. It helps us, he helps us to know that he's truly there, that you can talk with him about whatever you want or you can just rest in his presence. And then that helps you to just to live a, a more peaceful, serene, calm, joyful life. And it also helps you to prepare to receive him the next time you do at Mass. And also, I, what you could do, just one possibility, is each week for, say, four successive weeks, start out the week by looking at one of these four, Yes. And then spend the remaining part of the week contemplating what they had to say and maybe taking some action based on it. Maybe, like you say, just go to your church and sit there. Uh, you know, and then the next week, go listen to the next one. Well, there's four weeks right there. Yes. And, and see what happens. See how it, it changes you. 
to see what insights you get. Uh, the, the stuff is all out there in front of us, and we have to kind of clear our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts, and you might be really surprised at what, and maybe you'll be surprised at how many people that are doing the same thing, uh, which is kind of a neat thing. And yes. they may say, hey, you want to help out with a pancake breakfast or something like that? Or you, <laughs> you know, do you want to help clean the church getting ready for Easter, which is a gorgeous and beautiful thing to do? Uh, I or lo- even, you know, you know, visiting somebody in a nursing home or helping right. a neighbor that's elderly. I mean, there's so many things that can be done. And we do them in the name of Christ and out of love for him. And then we're truly blessed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you do them uh, in, in the name of Christ, and it it elevates the whole thing for everybody involved. That that you're doing this because you believe in something, and you believe in goodness, and you believe in all the things that the, that Jesus represents in the Eucharist and in everything He's had to say in this troubled world right now. It's really it's really quite good. Was the first person to tell you about this project of the bishops? Was it Bishop Callahan, or did you learn about it someplace else? I was hearing about it about nine or ten months ahead of time because I'm on a Zoom once a month with a group of people that work at the diocesan level in the same position as me. And one person, her bishop, is on the committee. And so they were, you know, he was bringing back everything and they were already preparing And so as each person was sharing what they're doing in their diocese, it was like I was drawn to really listen to her and then ask her if we could talk to her, you know, for the team I'm on, if if she would speak to our team and tell us what they were doing. And so she basically gave us the idea about the summit that we had, uh, that they did something similar. We changed a bit of it, but... That's when I heard about it. It just took a bit of time before it really got rolling. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we had some events that were focused on the Eucharist, but that we weren't really calling it the Eucharistic Revival yet. You know, there's just a lot of moving parts here at the Diocesan Center, and, you know, Bishop travels a lot. And so anyway, it just, it took us a while before it was really announced. Yeah. So basically, it wasn't like Bishop Callahan called you into his office and said, kids, I got an assignment for you. <laughs> and, and, and it was all laid out exactly what you had to do. You, you had to develop this grassroots contoured for the nature of the people in our diocese, which are very generous and very wonderful people. And so you put it together. And, and based on the RCI, things I experienced, based on the various things that are done here and how we pick up the ball and run with it, it's, you know, even now this whole thing with Valentina and Ukraine. I mean, who would have thunk that? Who would have? And then also with the the Afghan refugees coming out of the clear blue sky, and boom, here we go, and bang, you guys take off. <laughs> you know, it is it's thrilling to see because you're effective, and again, the trick is to reach the person who, in in some cases, doesn't even know we exist. And right. that's 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 really interesting. Uh, we're we're trying with the radio show. We're trying putting this, you know, on various other venues where people might run across us. Uh, we're not jamming it down people's throats. Uh, it, as a guy who you know majored in world religions and, and has spent time looking at them and things like that, it it astounds me that there are people who are completely oblivious to their spiritual side. 
And unfortunately, right. sometimes when they get going into it, they, uh, you know, they go into some strange, oddball stuff. I was just reading about how uh, the the jail ministries are looking for people who uh, they got plenty of people to talk to um, to the, the the inmates who are Christian. Now they could stand some who spoke Spanish, but there's a few you know uh, Muslims in there. And there's at least one person who was studying a Kankar, which is a well, I wouldn't want to get into it, but it's it's one of the more fringy things. I don't know if they're going to find anybody to have a discussion with him that would be able to keep their mouth shut and say what. But uh, I shouldn't be mocking it. But I'm sorry. It, it's there's been articles about it recently. It was one of these synthetic religions, I guess you have to call it, devoid of a lot of any traditions that we would think of. But uh, there's people out there who who all over, either in, they're incarcerated or not incarcerated. They're using drugs or recovering from drugs. All kinds of people who are looking for some kind of inner peace. And we, well, you especially, your job is to reach them somehow with something that they can, they can actually chew on. You know, they can actually grab it and look at it and say, I understand what you're saying. Wow, I hadn't thought of it that way. And it's really good. And when you funnel it all back down, you know, all the books... It, they they all go back down to what Jesus had to say, and and who he was. Yes. And if you miss that part, <laughs> if you if you miss that part, then the rest of it doesn't make as much sense. Right. Right. It's very strange. So so what's the next step now? What are you going to be going around to parishes, or what's your next move on this whole thing? Well, we are providing some different resources in our for our bulletins, and some, something simple as a couple parishes asked me, ask our office if we would do something what we ended up calling a minute with Jesus, and it's simply like a two or three sentences, a statement about the Eucharist. And then it's a simple prayer for whatever's related to those statements. And then um, for the week to read a scripture that's related. And so we started in early October and we've got completed all the way through Easter. But we'll continue developing that for every week. I know a lot of parishes are including one a week, which is great. And it's just meant to kind of spark a different you know, thought about the Eucharist. So that's one thing. We're tentatively uh, looking at an event for Pentecost for 2025, which is, you know, the close, but it's really about going out. So we want to, you know, begin preparing for that because, you know, so many of us Catholics don't really like to speak freely about our faith and we need to we we've won the lottery we've we've to know christ and to receive his sacraments we have to help other people understand this and want to be part of the church and to you know receive the greatest gifts in life the truth the truth of jesus christ and his living flesh and precious blood in the holy eucharist and the other sacraments a lot going on behind the scenes. We're kind of, well, I'm recovering from the January event. It was, it was wonderful, but there were a lot of moving pieces and a lot of, you know, preparations that had to be done. So we're going to, we're following up. We're starting to follow up with what happened that day and 
what people, let me tell you what the essence, well, part of the essence of the day was. We asked people to divide up in the groups, like, you know, have all the people involved in the Knights of Columbus, or all those who have, are a parish leader, you know, groups like that. And there was, you know, roughly maybe 13 to 18 people per group. And I think that there were 15 different groups. And we asked them, first of all, to talk about how will the Eucharist revival affect them personally? You know, in other words, during this day of prayer and what we were doing and seeing the Eucharistic miracles, how, how was this going, you know, how did they think that it was going to affect them personally and something that they would commit to? And then the next question was, what's already going on in your parish? And we asked them to name about five things. And then what the point of these small groups was to brainstorm, not adding t 10 things for father to do, but what already is being done, having the Eucharist now as front and center in that event. So if you have a parish picnic, how can you bring in the Eucharist? How could you have maybe a Eucharistic procession at the end of the picnic? Or let's say you have, you already have Eucharistic adoration. What could you add to this? You know, maybe asking everybody that's already committed to bring someone with them. Whatever already being done, but to grow that at the parish with the Eucharist as front and center. And that brought a lot of ideas, which we now have an idea on how we're going to get those out one at a time with some, you know, some other information attached. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is burden our priests and our deacons and our religious with more work. Right. Uh, right now. And, uh, you know, the, the funny thing, of course, you're saying that when I see the, the load you and the other courier staff on your shoulders, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, you're not going to go over to Ann's office and see like an entire staff working there, <laughs> you know, saying, we'll get right on it, Ann. Here we go. <laughs> Right. <laughs> there's just you, and there's a few people helping you out, and you, you know, it, it's just amazing that all this stuff gets done. That, uh, uh, and it's also, you know, they, they, you're not squandering tons of money by outsourcing things and all that. We always keep that in mind whenever we come time for things like the bishop's annual appeal and things like that. I'm always impressed. For example, I've mentioned this many times, where I, I get an email because I still get some of the emails that you guys send out uh, that says, you know. Anybody driving to Pittsville? Because <laughs> I, I have a box of books, and if you're going up that way, would you mind dropping it off? Because then it saves, you know, FedEx charges or whatever the case may be. And, but that's just the way it is. Uh, it's, just, it's just how it works like that. It's going to be an interesting couple of years, and um, I love the fact that it ends on Pentecost. Pentecost is a topic I'll probably get the bishop on talking about that. What a remarkable story that is. And again, as you have people who don't understand the whole concept of the Eucharist, I think a lot of people have no concept of what Pentecost is all about. Right. Boy, a couple of years ago at Christmas, uh, Bishop gave us a little ornament that had the little dove descending. Yes. I uh, I hung that on my on on a, on a bookshelf wall in my our living room. I've never taken it down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, I just keep it there because it is so absolutely gorgeous. It really is. You know, again, if anybody wants more information, first place to go, diolc.org, and then slash, slash Eucharist. 
and most of the people who are in parishes, you know, who want to know more about something that they can do to help you or vice versa, uh, they know how to reach you via the parish directories and things like that. Uh, so there's, you know, we don't want to give a phone number out right now, but uh, it's a, it's an immense, immense project. Um, I'm curious to see how it goes, I, whether we can get some press. I was impressed if I can get off the topic for a second. Tim Odenhoven up in Abbotsford. Yes. Uh, Wisconsin Public Radio did a story about him and his work. Wow. With the, with the food pantries and helping out everybody. And I was thinking, yay, you know, here's this yes. guy. He's been up there for 12 years. He hardly spoke Spanish when he went up there. He's fluent now. He does Spa- Spanish masses twice a week. And they told the story about how this guy came to get some food. And he realized it was winter and the guy didn't have a coat. And so he said, we've got coats down in the basement. Go down and help yourself. This oh. was on Wisconsin Public Radio. All wow. over the state. There's Father wow. Tim. <laughs> this is more like it. Now, maybe they could be doing something on what we're talking about. I think little by little, you know, the the, uh, the commercial and even nonprofit media, they shy away from talking about a lot of stuff that some religious groups do for fear that somehow they're going to lose listeners, you know, who go, ah, fairy man in the sky, you know, those people <laughs> who, yeah, who, yeah. who get very old. But to see them pointing out something that is done that is so good they yes. can't they can't ignore it yes and uh, as bishop is fond of saying from saint francis and I'll, I'll i'll paraphrase go preach the gospel and use words if necessary <laughs> this yes. is kind of what you guys are doing so and i appreciate your time uh, any final comments we've got some time so if you have more things you want to add uh, please feel free to do so Yes, what I think I would really like to do is just let the listening audience to know about at least one of the Eucharistic miracles. The first one was in early 700s, and it was in Lanciano, Italy. And interestingly enough, it was a priest who really was struggling with doubt that when he prayed the words of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would, you know, change the the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. And so he, one morning, was pr- praying the Mass and raised the bread and s- prayed the words, and the host became living flesh. And when he raised the, wa- the wine and prayed the words, it became the precious blood. And you could imagine, he probably almost had a heart attack, but he told the people that were in the congregation, and but it said that they they bowed down in adoration because they believed. Well, the church doesn't just rule on things like this any very quickly. In fact, they took a hundred, couple hundred years to approve this, and with modern science, they've actually studied the, in Lanciano, they allowed some Catholic scientists, you know, through the bishops to study the flesh and the blood. And so in other words, for us, the Lord allows us to where it still looks like bread, tastes like bread, even though it's his body. But in this case, performed a second miracle that it be his flesh that we could see this and it was the flesh of a heart and a heart that was in trauma so it's it, we're assuming it was during like the crucifixion you know he's 
God is outside of time and space, and he wants us to know that this is a sacrifice that he makes to give us his flesh and his blood. This is 1,300 years old, and it still has all the properties of fresh shedded blood, and it's so interesting. But let me add this. Of all the miracles, what they're saying is, and I'm, I'm guessing on this number, I think it's like 126, but I'm not, even, I'm not even sure about that. But that all the miracles of the Eucharist are heart tissue. So our Lord wants to give us his divine heart, his sacred heart, which is just amazing. Yeah. You talked about the... Uh the folks in the pews were bowing down in adoration. There are a lot worse things you can bow down to in adoration in this world. And unfortunately, people are doing it <laughs> to a lot. So we can try a little bowing down in the right direction. It's really good. And Langford, thank you so much for being here. I really kind of enjoyed the spirit of what you guys are doing collectively and what you're doing individually. It's a lot of work. And I've seen you working so hard for such, actually almost about the 20 years we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, as I said at the beginning of the show, you've gone from, uh, you know, just assembling three ring binders, which is, you know, the three hole punches get really old after a while, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and messy when they pop open and the little round things go all over your desk. But uh, uh, you've gone from that now to, to assembling things for the Internet and for people to to access, you know, via laptop and smartphones and all these things. And uh, it's been a long trip. And, and But what a rewarding thing to do that uh, we're hoping this will continue on. The next couple of years, we'll be revisiting this periodically. I'm suspecting Eric's already making plans to going out to the big events <laughs> and uh, if nothing else, sending back some reports that we can put on the air. But uh, it'll be good. It'll be a good thing. So thank you so much for being here. We, I appreciate it very much. And as I always tell all the members of the staff and others, if something comes up really, really important, if you get hold of me on a Monday or maybe a Tuesday, uh, I can have it on the air that following weekend. Wow. We're, we're more than happy to do it. That's just, just a phone call or an email, and bingo, I will try to drop it in as, as much as I can, okay? So you Great. take care. Thank you, Jack, so much. You take care, Doc. Lenten blessings to you. You too, now. And Langford, just talking about Lenten blessings. You know, the period of Lent is sometimes misunderstood or not really uh, thought about a lot. That's one reason why we take some special time during these days to talk about some, I guess, more serious topics. Or perhaps uh, theologically challenging, maybe another description of some of the things we talk about during Lent. We'll have the bishop on talking about more Lenten things as we progress, even talking about the concept of miracles and things like that. And what does Vatican approval mean? Does that mean a mandate that you must follow these things and spend all your time thinking about them, or, or can you pick and choose? A lot of it is definitely optional extras. Of course, the real presence is a whole different story. But getting back to what I'm talking about, essentially, is that if you want to spend some time during Lent, one of the best places you can go is the very much improved, very much enlarged Diocese of La Crosse website, diolc.org. As we talked about in the show, there are some special videos about Lent. There's just so much more. There's also a prayer request form that you can have a prayer done that you think is important to you or for someone else. 
things like that. There are lots and lots of homilies from priests and all kinds of news and, and also things from the Vatican News Service and things like that. It's just a big place to go. You'll also find the so-called officials, the announcements as to which priest is going where, which priest is retiring, which new priest is coming here, or whatever is going on. Lots of up-to-date information as well. And the last oh, 100 or so copies of Connecting the Diocese as MP3 audio files that you can just listen to right online, or you can even download and put on your own personal audio player. Again, the main address is diolc.org. Thank you so much for tuning in Connecting the Diocese this weekend. Jack Sosia here with you on Connecting the Diocese. You know, the period of Lent is very somber in many cases, even though we all know how it's going to end in triumph. There's a lot of thought about death and resurrection and ultimately where we are going to go. And at any given time, as people listen to the show, there are people tuned in who have just lost a loved one. I usually save this song for Easter Sunday and the story behind it, but I'm going to play it early this year simply because it seems like a good fit. Back when I was around 24 years old, my mother died suddenly, and I went back to my empty apartment, having taken a phone call at work and got more details on what was going on. And of course, I was crushed, destroyed, distraught, all those things. And I had a set of records that I had purchased five years ago when I was going to college for a music appreciation class. And I hadn't listened to them for five years. And suddenly something said, go to that set and get this out from Handel's Messiah. For those of you not familiar with Handel's Messiah, it is really the entire story of Christ's life. And we always think of the Hallelujah Chorus as being part of Christmas. And it's played an awful lot during Christmas time when actually... It is the end of Handel's Messiah. It is the end when the resurrection is happening and they go, Christ is risen and hallelujah. And that is when it begins. But there's so much else in there. You know, he was despised and rejected by men, a a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. So much appropriate for the Lenten time, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. But one of the most personally reassuring things is this part where he's singing the gospel messages, not about hallelujah, he is risen, but this time, this is for you who is worrying about your future and death. The trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and you shall be saved. For this corruptible form must put on immortality. Now you'll hear the vocalist, and I do not have his name. This was on a music appreciation album. He sings this, and as Handel designed it, at least three times, repeating it over and over and over again. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised because it is such incredible news. And that's why I want to play it for you during Lent, especially those of you, and I know there are some of you out there in one of the many places where we're broadcast or online, who is sitting there with the same kind of shock and sorrow that I was experiencing all those years ago. And play it. And I did. I put it on the record player, and I put it on, and I listened to it, and I played it again and again and again. This is the actual recording from that particular LP that I played all those years ago at that moment of absolute, just, what's the word, being destroyed. 
So I'd like to share a little bit of it with you this uh, particular Lenten weekend. So the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. And I dedicate this song to you in particular. And then we'll catch you again next week right here on Connecting the Diocese. Oh.